Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. We're back. Happy Friday. Happy Wait, Friday in real time. It's not, it's not Friday. Wait, and we don't even like... <laughs> I just mix my YouTube. We don't even channel. publish on Friday. What, what's going on? <laughs> it's usually what I say. Happy Friday, youth. Developer. Well, happy Friday somewhere, I guess. <laughs> well, somebody somebody may be listening to this on a Friday. Maybe. May yeah. So if you're listening to us on a Friday, even though we publish on a Wednesday, <laughs> uh, and we're recording on a Sunday, happy Friday to you. Yes, happy Friday. Or maybe someone's name is Friday. I. I um, I've heard a lot of different names in the after school yeah. summer few. Summer I, camp few. I want to get a dog and I want to name it like Friday or something like that. I want to name my dog Youth Developer. Because we believe that the best form of youth development <laughs> is by us, the adults, living life to the But can we not name a dog Youth Development? That just sounds like... I'm kidding, honey. What? I, don't th- kidding. I don't think you really are. No, no, I'm kidding. I will not. I want our dog's name to be Max. And I've been dreaming about little Max lately. How about Friday? Friday's a good name. No, Everyone like loves it. Friday. I don't like it. That's just for the youth. Or belt. Saturday. Hey, Saturday. Everyone loves Saturday. Or Sunday fun day. No one likes a Sunday. No? Okay. All right. Anyway, well, welcome back, guys. If you are new to our podcast, we are the Zitos. You are coming or walking into our fall series from our Faith and Responsibility season named Heaven and Earth series. Yep. And it might like go through the last part, part four, right into our gospel series. But we'll see. I'm pretty sure we're just going to do part four of Heaven and Earth. Yeah, hope, um, hopefully. Yeah. So what do you have in store for us, it's honey? It's kind of been taking me a, a long time to... <laughs> no, Which I'm is glad good. that we slow down. Yeah, we need to slow because down. Because that was all this was part of part one. Right. And I felt like it needed... To be digested. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, my own experience with this too had been, uh, you know, learning a lot from our tradition, learning it in um, different ways for a different point of view than is necessarily shared by scripture. So for me, when I did my own deep dives into the Hebrew Bible, uh, what we would call the Old Testament, it it was almost like, you know, like, you know, like when you're trying to plug in your Christmas lights? Mm-hmm. And they they don't work. At least this is the way it was, like, I guess in the 80s, 90s, growing up, right? And you had to find that one light that didn't work, the one little light bulb. And you had to pull out the light bulb. Yeah. And you put in a new light bulb, and all of a sudden they go, you know, because my dad would do it while it was plugged in, which he probably shouldn't have done. But yeah, it's like, you know, all the lights turned on for me once I did, like, a deep dive into the Old Testament. And I was never really able to see everything. The same ever again. Uh, hence, some of my struggles <laughs> for the past decade or so. Uh, being I don't know how tradition. you could have kept all that information. You know, I was I was thinking about the other day. I think you know, 
I had gone through so much personally at that point in my life. Mm. I think, you know, I I would, and I, I still believe this. I think it was a good lesson to, for me because, you know, I am, this might shock you, but I struggle with wanting to be right. <laughs> you Wait, you said shock me? Yeah, shock oh, you. Okay. Like, you know, because I seem to be very humble and very mm. like mm. open, bree- mm. easy breezy. Oh, no. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, de- I definitely do tend to struggle being right. I remember like learning some of these things even initially and just wanting to go uh, fight people about it like you know and trying to convince them and save them that way with knowledge but then having gone through different personal strategies in my own life i found that i i put a a bigger value on the community than i did on necessarily being right and i think that's where i'm kind of landing in my life now currently is like i definitely you know although i feel like a lot of this stuff can really help people i feel like um some of the ways our tradition has taught us has kind of left us empty and broken and just like just lacking the real fullness of God and the fullness of the gospel, which is kind of like why we're doing this message, a life to the full message to Christians. Uh, you know, it is something that I, I feel like I do place a bigger emphasis in my own life on my community than necessarily having to be right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, who knows? So we have gone through the whole concept of heaven and earth. Yep. We've gone through uh, kind of talking about the Garden of Eden, temples as a Garden of Eden, uh, a high place where heaven meets earth, all the Eden-like symbolism in both of the temp- all the temples that were in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, and the concept of God's coming, not God's, God's spirit coming to dwell with us where heaven meets earth in these temple Eden-like spaces, how Jesus is a temple, Eden-like person. He's kind of like a mobile temple that runs around creating little pockets of places where heaven meets earth. And now we're getting to us. So this is kind of like, I feel like a nice transition for us into the gospel. Great. Because, you know, when Jesus came, right, he had ultimate victory over the powers of darkness and so obviously history after Jesus has been nothing but, you know, rainbows and butterflies and flowers and, and unicorns. unicorns. Yes. <laughs> Whoa, do we finish each other's sandwiches? sandwiches? Oh my goodness. It's Such like a nerd. <laughs> I love it. We practice guys. It's but... like we're you know, we we do practice yeah. this cuteness does not come um, <laughs> just out of nowhere. We practice it's, at it's this. very intentional. <laughs> yeah. We're we're those annoying A types people that even want to win at being cute. That's right. Anyway, uh, but we fight often too, if that helps you guys. Uh, I don't know why you have a hard time sharing that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course we fight. That's yeah. why we have a great marriage. Yes. So, little disclaimer, Patty's upbringing was uh, in many ways much more healthy than mine was, where they actually talked about feelings, <gasps> and they talked about the way they felt about things, and they actually dealt with issues. I don't know if it was dealt. Definitely talked about. Definitely talked about. In a really loud and everything, way. Everything was out in the open. <laughs> where, like, I like to tell Patty, uh, in my family, we don't really get over things. We just we just die. Whoever dies, the last is the one who wins. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Going back to yeah. today's episode. So, when I was growing up, I used to think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit I don't know why, but I would imagine them like in heaven, 
like almost like a relay race. Do you ever do those relay races in school where someone had a run? Yeah. And they came back and they tagged someone mm-hmm. else and then it kept going. So mm-hmm. I pictured it like that. I pictured like God the Father ran down to one side. He came in. He tagged Jesus. Then Jesus went and Jesus came back and he tagged the Holy Spirit, uh, which I pictured as a, like um, one of those ghosts from Pac-Man. And you go like, yeah, yeah. So that's the way I pictured it, you know. Uh, and you know, I didn't really know what they were doing. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, but you know, I knew that there was something called the Father. That kind of made sense to me. There's this father figure. I pictured a guy in a flowing white beard. Like in Lord of the Rings, what's his name? Like like uh, Gandalf mm-hmm. the White. Yeah, something like that. But even like, you know, like like just big authority figure, big manly man with a big white beard and a toga and sandals. Oh, wow. And he was just up there and he spoke like this. Mm. I am God the Father. Got it. And then I pictured Jesus, you know, with his nice abdominal muscles, right? And his... <laughs> <laughs> and his flowing, like, brown hair and his, like angelic face like we had one of those pictures of jesus on my wall but the the holy spirit i just didn't know what what to to make of that so i think at different points in my upbringing i thought of him as the ghost from pac-man or casper the friendly ghost or i just didn't understand what this thing was Hmm. you know and uh i just knew that it was there so, in my in my Catholic upbringing, we did talk about, like, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, not the way that you would, like, in a Pentecostal tradition or even in our tradition. Uh, but it was just the idea that the Holy Spirit gave people different gifts. Hmm. So, like, if I had a gift in something, it came from the Holy Spirit or something like that. But I didn't really understand what was going on. But a lot of this temple language that we've been learning and, you know, the idea of God's spirit coming down to dwell with man, when you start, when you carry that into your reading of the New Testament and the stuff that's going on there, you kind of get the sense of what's going on uh, there with the Holy Spirit. You get a better idea. So maybe we should just jump right in. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. The Acts of the Jimmies. I mean, the Apostles. I'm, I'm trying to make her laugh, guys, and it's just not working. She doesn't think I'm funny anymore. I just came from a singing lesson. She did. And it was amazing. La, 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 la. la. Fun. No, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm a bit tired, I would say. She is a bit tired. Yeah. So in Acts 2, um, the little subtitle here is... The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, so sounds like we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, what are you, what are you hearing now after kind of like our brief walk through in the Old Testament that some language that should be waking you up to other stories? What verse? Sorry. You weren't paying attention to my reading. Chapter Mm 2, beginning in verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they Could were all... Could you read it in an English accent? No. Okay, just read it as Patty, sorry. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The fire? That's yeah, the fire, the wind, right? They were all in one place. Mm-hmm. They were all in one place. And they began to speak in different... Tongues. Tongues, right? And then we didn't cover this, I think, in this series. But, you know, where where do you remember people speaking in different languages? Suddenly, because of God. Besides here? Yeah. Uh, think back to the foundational stories. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11. That's in Genesis? Yeah. What happened with when people just... People all spoke one language, and then something happened, and then God confused their languages. Where was that? That's all I remember about God confusing their languages. (laughs) The Tower of... Babylon? Yeah, Tower of Babel, or Babylon, right? Because that's the same Hebrew word behind Babel and Babylon. Yeah, so it's like they're all suddenly speaking different languages. But when God did that back in Genesis, it was to scatter people. Yeah. And here he's using it to... Bring everyone back bring together. everyone back together yeah so you kind of see almost like re the world coming back together mm. us kind of going back to an eden-like setting where we were one humanity we were one people and it all comes by god's spirit a violent wind and a fire coming down and like little tongues little tongues of fire right mm. and resting on who the people who were there Right. right? Uh, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is basically 50 days after Passover. So this is like 50 days after, you know, the whole thing with the Passover happened where, you know, Jesus was betrayed, was crucified, died, and was resurrected after a period of three days. So here you see now in the Gospels, we talked about Jesus being filled like a temple by God's spirit. But what's happening here? Who's being filled with God's spirit. His disciples. His disciples, yeah. So in a sense, what does that make you think of his disciples? What are they now? The new temple. Yeah, they're a brand new temple. Spanking new. Spanking new, like a brand new youth center. They're a brand new YMCA. Ooh, Ooh. Why are we talking about the Y? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, yeah, so it's like it's as if God's spirit is coming to dwell with these people and what was the purpose of temples to be the place where you enter god's presence god's presence where man's space and god's space come together Mm -hmm. so if you think of a group of people like a church right coming together they all have god's spirit dwelling in them when you come into the presence of believers and followers of jesus what are you coming into god's presence you're coming into god you're coming into a sacred space Mm -hmm. you're coming into a place where heaven and earth are supposed to be one Right, a place where the sin has been dealt with, so now you can enter, yeah. right? Because of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross and, and raising from the dead, now you can enter into these sacred spaces where God's, uh, where God is supposed to be 
dwelling, right? And this, again, it should bring us back all, this is going to bring us all over the Old Testament, right? It's going to bring us back to Exodus. It's going to bring us back to Chronicles. It's going to bring us back to the Tower of Babel, like we talked about before. Like where before there was a scattering, right? Because they were going to build a, t- a tower that was going to allow them to ascend into heaven so they could make a name for themselves, right? Now God scattered at one time. Now God is bringing everything back together through his spirit, descending on his people yeah. in a very like... So again, now knowing the whole story, this isn't... Are these a bunch of Greeks and Romans hanging out? No. No, these are who? These are Jews, right? <laughs> these are a bunch of Jews. Yeah. So this is the fulfillment of Israel's story. This is the promised redemption of God's people, Israel. This is a fundamentally Jewish movement, right? Mm. So it's like God here through Jesus is fulfilling his promise to his people. And his people are meant to be now go out and be a light to the Gentiles, a blessing to the world, right? It was never supposed to be just about Israel. Yeah. So this fundamentally Jewish movement, right, gets fulfilled right here in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is kind of like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke, right, because we think the same author wrote them both. So it's something that we should be keeping in mind as, as we read this. Um, and this is something that even out. So, you know, I often think of Acts almost as like the fifth gospel. It's almost like the sequel to Luke, you know, it uh it annoys me to no end when people go in and try and just preach from the book of Acts mm. without like referencing, like, cause it's like, it's not meant to be in a vacuum. You know, mm. it, this is a continuation of a story. It's like trying to do, you know, return of the Jedi without understanding a new hope. You just, you, you can't, you can't do it. Right. You need the whole movie. <laughs> I'm talking about star Wars. You're looking at me like you're very confused. Not honey, I know it's like- you know, we get it. You're so super cool, and I'm the nerd of the thing. I am not super cool. <sighs> I think I'm super cool to myself. I'm not sure if people find me super cool. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, my goodness, that is so amazing. I don't know about that, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah, so this is something that now we're getting out of the Gospels, and we're looking at the way the early church approached the Gospel and the good news and the way they applied it to a Roman world. And, you know, we want to see... We don't want to use Paul to inform our theology of the Gospels we, or our theology of the Old Testament. We want to kind of use the Old Testament and the Gospels to inform us about Paul. Yeah, but we've done it backwards. We absolutely have done it backwards. That's just what we do. I think, you know, like we almost like try really hard at times to get it wrong and to get it backwards. Mm-hmm. But it's my maybe being a little bit of a spicy white boy right now. But we're going to go to Ephesians. Okay. Chapter 2. Girls eat popcorn. <laughs> They're such like little books. You can like go past them so quick. <clears throat> Not like Isaiah or like you can't miss Exodus. It's just like this big chunk. But anyway, Exodus 2 and verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So here we have the same basically type of temple language, 
you know, you can you can see this foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So the Hebrew Bible, or what we would call the Old Testament, not Ephesians, because Ephesians is being written right now as we're reading this, mm-hmm. right? So not now, not necessarily. I'm not saying New Testament isn't important; it's very important. But we just, I think, we have to keep that in perspective. You know, sometimes when we think about the scriptures, we think about you know what in the Christian tradition we would call the New Testament. It's more than that. Foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we have, I guess, in a sense, the New Testament and the Old, right? That's that's our that's our foundation. With Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone, right? In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together. So we're almost like in this whole thing being built together. Uh, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we have, again, the spirit of God filling the temple. And in this case, who is the temple? Us. We are. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are the temple. And now since the sin has been dealt with, who can enter this space and experience being in God's presence? Everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So the church is supposed to be for everybody. And I kind of said this, uh, you know, last week. I believe, or a few weeks ago. I don't know when it is in real time. But, you know, I love that quote from Rob Bell where he kind of sums it up. Like, if the gospel isn't good news for everybody, it's not good news for anybody. So if you're a white Republican and the good news is really good for you, but it's really bad for, you know, Hindus in India or people who believe differently than you because they're all now going to hell Mm. because they believe a different gospel, that's not really the gospel that we're talking about here, that we're going to be talking about. It's supposed to be good for everybody. Right. So now it's as if God's temple is here on earth. The doors have been opened. There's no court of the Gentiles. There's no place where it's only for Jews. There's no place where it's only for the high priest. Everything has been thrown open and we're all able to enter. So let's go to one more in First Peter chapter 2. And we'll kind of wrap it up here. Uh, us, the idea of us being a temple, just to see that, you know, this is something that, you know, it's in the Gospels and we find it again in the writings. This is something that the church was very, very concerned with. And I think it's something that we should be very concerned with, too. And we'll get to that in a minute. So in First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone. So who is the living stone? As you come to him, the living stone. Who do you think the living stone is? Us. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, (laughs) rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, you know, a whole bunch of cool stuff is happening here, um, but we have... Jesus being compared to a living stone, right? And who else are some living stones? Us. We're living stones. Yeah. And we're being built together. That's when I got excited. You did. Us. Us. (laughs) No, but yes. Okay. Uh, Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things I love about this scripture is because I think a lot of times we like to hold on to the fact that Jesus was a sacrifice once and for all. Right, we we pick that out of Hebrews, but here it says that w- what are we doing in this in this new temple? 
What are we offering? We're offering spiritual sacrifices. So what does that even mean? <laughs> you know? And I would love to see, if we had time, what this says in different uh, translations and even to look behind at the Greek. But I just want to kind of leave it hanging there in the air that there is something, it's not just about us standing there and being amazing. Right. Like, you know, and, and basically condemning the world through how amazing we are. There, we should be doing something. And when you're offering sacrifices, right, when the, when the high priest was offering sacrifices on the Day of Atonement for the people, right, he was doing something on behalf of the people. And I think we're called to be doing something on behalf of the world. And I think sometimes we can make our Christianity about, okay, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, who's a good person, who's a terrible person, who's in the light, who's in the dark, where we kind of lose focus that in this spiritual temple that we're supposedly a part of, where Jesus' spirit is filling us, the Holy Spirit is filling us, God's spirit is filling us as if we were a temple. We, as he says here, a holy priesthood, we should be doing something to deal with the sin or the wrongness of the world. And it, it all looks different in each person. What do you mean? It all looks different in each person? Our gifts. Yeah, our gifts. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's not the same. We don't do it by coming together on a Sunday and then a midweek and then the Bible talk on a Friday. Yep. Ah, <laughs> sameness and ordinary. We are unique and ex- extraordinary hmm. individually, different from one another. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't mean like one thing, right? And I think it also doesn't mean, uh, okay, so we need to go tell everyone that they're doomed unless they become like us. It seems to almost be like, we're, we're trying to deal with that sin, right? But in, in one sense, it could be confusing because isn't the sin already dealt with? Isn't the wrongness of the world already dealt with with Jesus? Yes, it is. But what's the world like? Crazy. The world is crazy, right? So when you think about the history of the world, since Jesus came, I thought he dealt with the sin. I thought he dealt with the wrongness of humanity, Uh you know, re- rejoin heaven with earth in his death on the cross and his resurrection. But why doesn't the world look like it's it's better? Where is, where is this new creation that we've spoken of? And I think there's an idea here that new creation, in a sense, is also up to us. Right. How we live our lives. How we contribute to the new humanity. How we contribute to the new humanity. And I think we can make it about meetings, we can make it about appointments, we can make it almost about sales, we can make it about like recruitment, getting as many people as possible, right, without really fundamentally figuring out what it means to live, you know, a life that's in line with the idea of heaven and earth being united in our bodies, in our lives, and in the communities that we create. And I think if you come from a community, which I feel like I personally do, where people are, are tired and people are worn out and people are burnt out, I don't think that's indicative to the Spirit of God uh, being in that community or doing well in that community. I think there's a frustration of the Spirit that we can do that can almost like 
hamper or hold back this heaven breaking into earth. This heaven and earth becoming one. I think the church can at times actively stop that. And I think one of the ways it actively stops that is by focusing so much on heaven and hell. And we have to save people. It's up to us that we forget that we, in a, in a sense, save people. That's even a thing by the way we live our lives, by the way we conduct ourselves in the world. Yeah, and that's where the unnecessary pressure comes in that almost feels very fake. Yeah. And not like from within, but you're forcing it into your family, you're forcing it into your job. And it's very obvious. Yeah. It is... Yeah. I'm having a little hard time just like... As we put it all together, you know, um, to... Yeah, this is so fundamental. And yeah. I I wanted, um, when we did the the path and the pattern, right? That was yeah. the name of it. When, did, when we did path and the pattern, I so desperately wanted a, us to talk about heaven and earth at that time. Mm. And... But I, I'm glad that we went through increasing our vulnerability and even you breaking this down deeper, um, answering some of the questions that I had as I was reading, whether N.T. Wright or Middleton. Um, like understanding the bigger picture because I love big picture and the Bible Project videos and podcasts does such a beautiful job. Yeah. Putting it all together that it makes sense. And so when I was reading the books... I was connecting those dots. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's what I kept saying, telling people. I feel like an infant, like uh, like opening my Bible or approaching the scriptures. And after your class with Jonah, it's what I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Maybe the feeling is like feeling more confident that it's it's our job to. Yeah, it's our responsibility to to look at to look to I don't know what the word is research, explore, discover. Um, I know the Bible keeps talking about it's uh, about the interactive discovery process. Mm. But not in the sense of like how the Bible is going to apply to my life. And how I'm going to be such a better person. Right. I don't know how you said it, but looking for the, even like in that, that scripture that I just read, um, you getting excited, like, okay, what are some of the, some of the words that take us back, right? Mm. Like to, to Genesis or back to right. the story. Yeah. So discovering the whole story as I'm reading my Bible. Yeah. Yeah, let's look at something real quick. Um, It's going to seem unrelated, but I hope we can uh, link it up. So it's it's in the first pages of Acts. This is one of the things that, you know, following the whole story, this kind of changes everything. So I'm going to read the story, and then you tell me what, 
how we've used this story in the past, our tradition. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage in scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotoas and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So what are some, some ways you've heard that scripture used before? The first thing that came to mind was in the studies how you need someone to help you through reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I've heard this before as, oh, we have to find the eunuch. You know, if we just dare to open up our mouths on mm. campus or in our communities, like there's someone there. And just imagine just, you know, like talking to someone, sharing uh, your faith, sharing them, you know, what you think the gospel is, and then just being like, can I just get baptized? You know, like imagining some, we, there was somebody that, you know, we met on campus that we would call like, oh, he was like our, our Ethiopian eunuch. Hmm. You know, he was from Africa, but not like Ethiopia, different part of Africa. And uh, it was almost like, yeah, I need to, why shouldn't I get baptized? I need to get baptized. Hmm. Did you ever hear the scripture used like that? Mm-mm. No. So for me, it's like, it's something else kind of here is going on with the idea of, you know, there were real reasons why a eunuch wouldn't be able to worship God the way everyone else did, you know, because of some Old Testament laws. So someone who was born a eunuch or who was, you know, a eunuch wouldn't necessarily be able to appear before God in the temple. They would have to stand in the back. So here through Jesus, right, through his spirit in his temple, which is now us, the eunuch, someone who before wouldn't have been able to enter into the presence of God, is there any barrier? No. So that's what the eunuch was actually saying. He was actually, the eunuch actually knew his Old Testament. The mm. eunuch was saying, uh, tell me, ple- uh, sorry, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He's actually literally asking a question. There's a question mark 
<laughs> right there. That we, you know, he's not asking, could you baptize me? He's asking, is there anything then that's going to stop me? Because he understands the story. He understands the whole narrative. God is bringing the world back together. This is something for everybody. The eunuch would have been somebody who would have been on the fringes of that society of that time. You know, like some people chose to become eunuchs, uh, you know, rather than like, you know, be a bricklayer or break their back in hard labor. They were considered trustworthy because they, you know, they wouldn't sleep around with the women, right? Because they're missing essential pieces to do that, right? So, But they were considered like a subclass of people. Hmm. And you fast forward today, and so how has Christianity dealt with what we in modern society would consider people in a subclass of society? Hmm. Like, let's say, transgender people. Yeah. Let's say, you know, gay and lesbian people. Hmm. Let's say, um, you know, people who are part of various hate groups. People yeah. who are part of various political parties. Yeah. How have we as Christians done at those people who were considered to be at the fringes of society. Yeah. Are we like Philip? Are we inviting them in? Are we saying there's nothing preventing you from entering in to fellowship with God and his spirit in this temple, which would be the church? I, I slow down and stop that here because I think this is a good metaphor for everything that can go wrong in churches. Mm. Everything that's gone wrong in my tradition. We make it about who's in and who's out. We make those boundaries very firm, very strong. And we concern ourselves with that a lot. Okay, you no longer believe the things that we think you need to believe in order to get to heaven. You are now outside the community. You're choosing to live your life in a certain way that we don't agree with. You're choosing certain moral standards that we don't agree with. You're now outside of our community. We push people away, you know. And I think what we need to be doing is we need, need to be looking for ways to, to bring people in. Yeah. Not as like a recruitment tool. Not as like, yay, you know, like we're going to be a mega church now. Mm-hmm. But in, in a way that's actually like conducive to the way I think this whole temple language was supposed to apply to us. Right. We should, people should be streaming into God's church. They should be coming into God's temple, which is us. Not a building. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we put up walls to keep Mm -hmm. people out. Mm -hmm. We should be knocking down walls to get people in. Right. Yeah, Yeah. because we could say, yeah, of course, it's for everybody, and then put all these rules in there. Or kick out. (laughs) Yeah, like love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm -hmm. You know, like the most loving thing we can do right now is tell people they're going to hell. You know, which is, in a sense, if that was actually true, maybe... You know, like, yeah, if you were about to run out into a, a street, get run over by a car, it would be loving for me to maybe take you and fall, throw you to the ground. Even though you got maybe a little banged up, at least you wouldn't be dead by being run over by a car, you know? So it's just kind of like thinking, what is the end goal of Christianity? You know, if the end goal of Christianity is to keep people out of hell then okay, yeah, tell people they're going to hell because of the way they live. If the end goal of Christianity is to create heaven and earth and bring all things together, you know, under him, under God, then maybe we need to rethink some of the ways that, you know, we play out our Christianity in our lives and in our churches. Maybe we should be thinking about how 
about moving people in. If people in our congregations are too tired to actually be good parents, to be good neighbors, to be good, uh, to be good uh, workers at their jobs, right? Because they're so focused on getting as many people as possible into heaven. Maybe we need to rethink our Christianity, and maybe we need to start acting like those living stones in a temple where God's spirit dwells and inviting people into that community. No matter how reprehensible or how like on the fringes of society we think they should be. So kind of ending out now our discussion on heaven and earth and hopefully transitioning into the gospels. Uh, you know, we made the case at the beginning of this that if you search in the Bible for, you know, heaven and hell, you're not going to find it. Even if you search for the word hell, you're only going to find it in the New Testament and only 15 times. Mm-hmm. Right. But heaven, we find a lot. Earth, we find a lot. Heaven and earth, we also find a lot. We find it a significant number of times. The story of the Bible is tracking with this. It's, it begins with a breaking of a relationship breaking of worlds, worlds being broken apart, God's space and man's space being torn apart and them no longer being able to dwell together. As the Bible goes through, it you know, Cain and Abel at the foot of uh, Eden making sacrifices to God, trying to get back in, as we see from Moses' temple and from Solomon's temple and the temple when they came back from exile where God's spirit was absent. And it, God's spirit comes again when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, makes a new temple through us, his church, right? So this re- restoration of all things and new heaven and earth is something that it's not a new concept. This right. isn't some fad theology. Mm-hmm. Right. This isn't some crazy Anglican bishop named N.T. Wright <laughs> who, you know, has got his cards all mixed up. Right. You know, this is deep theology that if you really read the Bible, it's been with us the whole time. Whoever put together the Bible, whoever brought all this, these fragments together, all these stories together, they, they understood this because you can see it all over the place. So let's go to Matthew nineteen twenty eight, so we can kind of like see some of the language there of the New Testament. I think we're just going to do the heaven and earth part four. You think so? Yeah, it's already in 40 something. It's okay. Cool. All right, Matthew 19, we'll see. Matthew 19, verse 28. It's better for titling. (laughs) Okay. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or or fathers, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So this is a great scripture that I feel like, again, if you don't know the whole story, you can immediately input your own tradition. Yep. Right? You can. I tell you, they're new of all things. You can go, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, when I get to heaven. Mm-hmm. No. That's the renewal of all things. The renewal of the heavens. And the renewal of the earth, the renewal of God's space, and the renewal of man's space. Does renewal mean destruction? No. No. 
Yeah. No. Like Middleton likes to joke. Yeah, yeah. Like, you I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's like he found like a little cartoon that he put in his book, A New Heavens and New Earth. He was like, hey, did you hear? God's going to destroy the world and we're all going to heaven. And he's like, uh, do the meek know that? Because they're supposed to inherit the earth in the Beatitudes. I guess biblical nerd humor. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this I love because, you know, I missed this for years because I, I never realized until I really got into the Old Testament that this is a big deal because 11 of the tribes have been lost. Only Judah returned mm-hmm. from exile. So this is like the restoration of God's people. Mm-hmm. This is the fulfillment of their story. Even though they're gone and they're scattered and they've, they've kind of like lost their identity in the nations through being conquered by other, you know, powers and kind of scattered through all the earth, only Judah came back. Yeah. So there's only going to be one tribe, right? No, there's going to be 12, right? And the yeah. apostles are going to be sitting there, you know, in judgment over them and judgment sounds like a really bad scary topic Mm -hmm. until you realize like you know in judgment the sin will finally be dealt with wow it'll be removed from the camp yeah it'll be removed from the community right so and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life eternal life eternal existence as some type of Pac-Man ghosts or Casper the Friendly Ghost or a Scooby-Doo ghost. Like, woo! No. Eternal life. Life. Being alive. Mm -hmm. Having some type of body. Being embodied. Yeah. In earth. Right? That's been renewed. Um, But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. So just, you know, thinking that. The Gentiles as the last. The nations being brought together again. And I think we can read these scriptures and we can think that they are written for a time that no longer exists. But when I read this, I'm like, okay, am I am I the first now? Because this has been 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Christianity now has a non-Jewish identity. Mm. right? I was raised in a tradition that has a non-Jewish identity. So am I, in a sense, first? But what about the rest of the world? What about my Jewish brothers and sisters? What about, you know, people of different faiths? Are we being brought together, you know, into this type of reality with the renewal of all things? So let's go to Peter. Okay. Um, In Acts 3, Peter has a little speech. Three. We're spending a lot of time in Acts today, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Acts 3, verses 21. <clears throat> We're going to back up a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about 17. We'll start in 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So here again, right, we have repent, right? Repent of cursing. <laughs> repent of saying a word that only means what we say it means. Repent of missing your calling. Or, you know, <laughs> repent of being a bad human being and start, start trying to be a better human being. Yeah, contribute. You know? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Right, we think of sin in our lives as this thing that just overcomes us. Hmm. Like Satan possessed my body, and that wasn't me. Right. When I told you to, you know, go do whatever. Right. When I flipped you the bird in traffic with a Mickey Mouse <laughs> hand, Patricia Kelly. Or you know, like when I when I was mean to my boss, or I lied, or I was not nice to my children. That was Satan. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that sin is crouching at the door, you must master it. You can master it. Yeah. There is a choice. Yes. You have a choice. Yes. Right? And then we fail to live up to that choice. We repent, and there's a restoration of ourselves that will eventually lead uh, to restoring everything. He must remain in heaven, in verse 21, until the co- time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So this idea of restoring everything. I guess after the world is destroyed and the sun explodes and we're all someplace in in heaven with clouds and floating babies and harps. No. The restoration of all things. Restoration of the earth. Imagine, I imagine clean oceans. Mm. You know, I imagine animals thriving in their natural habitats. I imagine cities of people that bless the environment, don't pollute it. You know, I imagine families that love each other, that are awesome. Harmony. <laughs> harmony. Harmony with people. Peace. No more wars. Mm-hmm. No more No more fighting over who gets to be in charge. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, I look around at the church and I see a bunch of people who are arguing over who's in charge. Which denomination matters more? You know, I think even what our church went through in around 2003, where it broke up, it was an international movement, and it became a local movement of these scattered churches that are kind of loosely associated with each other. Fundamentally, the argument really wasn't over theology. It was over who was in charge. Hmm. Was it some guy named Kip McKean, or was it local leaders and local congregations? Fundamentally, I think that's the biggest difference between our tradition that we're, you know, we're a part of and the tradition of, you know, that we broke away from, I guess. The ICC and ICOC. That's the biggest difference right there. And even with us with the mainline, the mainline Church of Christ, it's who gets to be in charge, you know, not the restoration of all things. I think even church history can be summed up in a nutshell of, okay, who... Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to tell people what to do? Who gets to control the money? Who gets to control who does what? Who's right? Who's wrong? But this doesn't... I don't see this when I read this. I see the idea of a restoration of all things. And to me, that means that all of these boundary lines start getting erased. 
Mm. We're no longer American. We're no longer Canadian. We're no longer Jewish. We're no longer from any other place. We're one people. Mm. We're one humanity. Yeah. One love. One love. Is that Bob Marley? Bono. Oh. I'm thinking like, one love. Oh, yeah, is that Bono? No, that's Bono. That's you too. The most underrated. My favorite one is the one with Mary J. Blige. Of course it is. Of course. But Bono and you two are the most underrated Christian band. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, uh, they're considered pop music. But dude, those lyrics. Yes. Those lyrics are more Christian than any Christian music that's on 99.1. Guess we're definitely not getting any sponsorship from them definitely in the future. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. I feel like I want to pick on Ohio for some reason. Do you have any Ohio jokes? No, sweetheart. Okay. Let's bring it home. Let's go to Paul in Romans 8. And you know, the words of Paul are kind of like the earliest Christian writings we have. Uh, really even predating the Gospels. A lot of these things were written being written before the Gospels. Romans is kind of considered his magnum opus, or like his greatest work. Some people even call it another gospel. Not like another gospel, like a different gospel, but they'll call it like the fifth gospel. Hmm. You know, or the gospel of grace. All types of stuff. Okay, Romans 8, verse 21. And we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to go to verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits an eager expectation for its destruction. No, it doesn't say that. The creation waits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Liberated from bondage to decay. So a fundamental law of thermodynamics, of physics, oh. is that things over time break down and are destroyed. This table is slowly crumbling. Our bodies are slowly dying. Any, any newborn baby, as cute as they are, and as much as, you know, a lot of you girls want to eat their little toes and pinch their little rolls, that baby is born dying, already dead, decaying. Life has a trajectory which ends in death. And here Paul talks about being liberated from that, liberated from the bondage of decay and being set free. Hmm. And so to land the plane here, I think Paul is easily the person who's most easily confused with being preaching a gospel where we're going to heaven. We're going to be liberated from our bodies. But I think when you really boil down to what Paul is really saying, and you see how he's tracking with the rest of the story, right? You see that that's not all. What he, that's not what he's saying at all. Paul isn't hoping to die and go someplace else and not have a body. Right. right. He's hoping for the restoration of all things, the liberation from decay. And that liberation from decay is not death. It's not being dead and then being a spirit 
where you're not going to have a body anymore. It's being restored. It's creation itself being restored somehow to its original intention, which was to be something that wouldn't wouldn't die, wouldn't decay. And we see this even later in the book of Revelation, you know, where it talks about like the new city coming down, right? There being streams of water flowing out of it. On each bank, there's a tree of life Mm -hmm. for the healing of the nations. The healing of Christians? (laughs) The healing of of just Jews? No. No, the healing of the nations. Yeah. I think that at the end, when Jesus comes back at the restoration of all things, uh, there's going to be a renewal that's not just going to be for Christians alone. It's going to be for the world. That's what I believe. And I believe Jesus wants to start that revolution through us, through his temple, the place where heaven and earth are meant to be one and God's spirit is supposed to be dwelling for the restoration of all things. Amen. And that wraps up our Heaven and Earth series. And tune in to next Wednesday for the gospel series. Adios, muchachas. And muchachos.